That's right, folks. You know you're in for a treat when you hear that bang in tune because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. If you don't know what Rec Poker is all about, we're an extremely enthusiastic group of poker players uh, who, while we love the game and some of us do very, very well playing poker, um, at the end of the day, it's not a job for us. It's something we do for fun. We've got our own jobs, our day jobs, and poker is what we do to compete and to hopefully make some money and have a great time doing it. And at Rec Poker, we love working with recreational players and getting them uh, further in the game, helping them develop their style, their strategy, become crushers of their own and take that next step. Uh, speaking of taking the next step, we're going to have Ryan LaPlante here uh, from Learn Pro Poker in just a moment to talk some strategy. The theme of the month here at Rec Poker is responding to three bets this month. So we're going to pick Ryan's brain about that. I'm excited for that. Um, and of course, most of what we do here is free. We're a largely volunteer-based organization. We do have a premium membership. Uh, which is a great value at $15 a month. And if people use their code RECPOKER, they can get their first month for only $5. But like I say, most of what we do is free. We have a lot of fun with our free community members. And because of that, it's really important that we thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, and Mark Prashan over at Website Amp. And of course, it's not just the premium members and the sponsors. The real heartbeat of what we do at Rec Poker here is the wrecking through. That core group, that core team of folks that put their uh, uh, their time in every month, making videos, contributing their thoughts, responding in the forums, um, hosting our study groups and uh, strategy discussions. And if you want to find out more about me, I'm Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the Home Game, and Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. You can go to rec.poker/crew to meet other members of the Wrecking Crew, or you can just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right here tonight. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. Uh, I'm Kim Kilroy. Uh, you can find me at PetVet33 uh, on Twitter and Fergie56 in the home game. And I'm Rob Washam, Rabman50, just about everywhere. And we're joined uh, every Monday night. We do these recordings live on YouTube. So, folks, uh, like Joe and Ben and Martha, I see a bunch of other folks uh, already lined up there in the YouTube chat. Folks can listen along and enter uh, your questions for our guest in the chat for free every week. And we also do a prize drawing every week uh, for folks if they just enter the words food bank near the end of the episode. We'll do a draw where they can win something cool. So speaking of something cool, it's not his first time on the show. This is a, a longtime friend of the show, uh, Ryan LaPlante. I'm not sure if this is your third or fourth visit or uh, something like that. But when he's not crushing it on the felt, uh, he's he's helping us share our love of recreational poker players. There's not a lot of pros out there who love it as much as Ryan. So Ryan LaPlante, thank you so much for coming back on the Rec Poker Podcast. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, I think it's somewhere around there. I want to say four. Four feels yeah. right. Four yeah. years, right? That's <laughs> somewhere around there. And this um, is yeah. coming up on episode 429 or something Jeez. like that, if you can believe wow. it. So, yeah, you're averaging yeah, just like one, one hundred. That's you might you might be in that like John Goodman Saturday Night Live territory here. Right? <laughs> That's something to be proud of. Uh, definitely, definitely. Am. Uh, yeah, I've always been a big fan of what you guys do. It's always great to see people passionate about the game, passionate about learning, wanting to improve and also wanting to, you know, grow the community. You know, poker doesn't really exist if there isn't, you know, more blood being added to the player pool, so to speak. Um, but also just seeing more people that are passionate and want to 
grow and learn. I mean, that's why I created, you know, my training site and also why we have our GTO study tool to help people become more passionate and more knowledgeable about the game. Um, yeah. So it's always great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, man. Well, listen, I mean, people who listen to the show regularly are no stranger to Learn Pro Poker and uh, Range Trainer Pro. They know that every Sunday in our free home game, the winner of our free home game on Sundays gets a free month of training at Learn Pro Poker, which is a pretty phenomenal uh, thing that you're doing. And uh, I know a lot of our members have taken advantage of that and they say all sorts of great stuff. Um, you're updating. Let's let's talk about Learn Pro Poker for a little bit at first, because I know that's so, kind of like uh, your passion project. You're adding stuff all the time. What's been going yeah, on there recently? Yeah. So a uh, buddy of mine approached me a while back, you know, that, hey, we should do a training site together. And, you know, I didn't really see much of a point in doing it. But, you know, as I started to put up some results and as I started doing more work with sites like Run It Once, being one of the elite coaches, doing, you know, working with pretty much most of the major sites before that. Um, I'd realized that there was kind of a gap in, in the industry and that there wasn't really approachable content for people, especially structured, easy to follow, very well, you know, organized and, and put out content. Um, and also most of the videos and content out there are very long, which isn't great if you want to really mm -hmm. learn something. You know, it, it can get very dry and very boring. And that's what Learn Pro Poker got created out of, just very structured content, um, very short theory videos. I think our longest theory videos, like, 14 minutes or something like that but those theory videos even though they're short they are a lot of work i want to say the average minute of theory video is probably two to three hours of work for me so yeah. that 14 minute video is probably 30 to 40 hours of work for me somewhere in that ballpark so a lot of work goes into it but then attached to those theory videos for those that like really like to learn via hand examples and stuff lots of hand history examples so i'll teach you what gto looks like and then I'll teach you how to apply it and how I personally approach situations and what I'm looking for, how I'm exploiting my opponents, that type of stuff. So I try to make it very approachable content, but also help give people the basis for good fundamental theory focused foundation for their game that they can break apart from and, and you know grow their own approach and style from. You know, one of the nice things about poker is that if you look even at the highest stakes, while you can tell that a lot of guys have a, or a lot of players have a very similar fundamental approach, you know, the way they build three bet and four bet ranges, uh, type of sizes and strategies that they use pre flop and post flop are fairly similar. There are some exceptions to that. They're still their overall styles can be wildly different. Hmm. And to me, that's like where part of, you know, the beauty still and the art still lies in the game is that there are a lot of different ways to play high level poker. And while these study and GTO tools are very powerful and are, you know, you you really should be studying a lot if you really want to compete at a high level, no matter what stakes you're playing, you know, there still is a lot of art that is in the game. And to me, that's in part why I'm still so passionate about it is that, you know, for all the studying and stuff you can do, there still is that extra something else, especially for live poker that can really give you a bigger edge, even in these very difficult games. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I, I've I've watched a lot of your material as well, not only just through being a member of Learn Pro Poker, uh, but of course uh, you're aware. Of some of our audience members know Learn Pro Poker was one of the very first learning with partners groups that Rec Poker uh, started working with. So every month, uh, sites like Ryan's at Learn Pro Poker offer Rec Poker Premium members the chance to go behind their paywall and look at some of their premium online training content that ordinarily would only be available for their members. Um, so because we've got such a great relationship, 
I actually host a monthly rec poker study group that's just based on just on the Learn Pro Poker material that we've been looking at that month. And it's great. At, just like you say, uh, Ryan, a lot of the high level stuff can apply to any stake, you know, the highest level games that you're playing. But we can extract information about that that we can apply at, at any level of poker. Definitely. And um, and that doesn't mean just low stakes. That also means like fun games or, um, you know, low to medium stakes. It's all just yeah. about, uh, you know, you, you're a big fan of kind of knowing what is the correct thing to do and then when to deviate from that to take advantage of the people at the table around you. And whatever stakes you're playing at, that's what poker is all about. Um, so that, that's been phenomenal. Um, what are some of the, what are some of the, uh, uh, videos that you've been working on recently or what are some um, new additions to the site and how do you decide so, what to, how do you decide like what to bring up to it and, and, and update the site with from time to time? So it comes down to a couple different things. So first of all, I look for kind of like where holes are in the content. Um, so uh, I realized that I'd been missing some final table content. So what I've been focusing on more most recently are just like final tables and deep runs of my own. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been building some uh, final table theory content um, working with Dara Kearney, um, uh, using some of his study notes and just doing discussions and stuff with him. So that's like where a lot of the work and stuff comes in and why some of these theory videos take a while to build is I'm not just like, you know, going in and going, oh, hey, this is what it is, I think. It's I'm discussing <laughs> and learning from some of the best players in the world and using their knowledge and their experience as well as their, you know, the math and everything else that goes into it and using that and then taking notes and then studying and improving myself. And then that's how I build new, new, how I build new theory content. Um, and then on top of that, some of the new content is just like what I've been up to recently. So in the last month and a half, I've made three World Series of Poker Final Tables. So a lot of the new content has been those final table runs from start to finish. Um, and also, since I've been doing a lot of just studying and stuff myself, some of the newer content is based around what studying I've been doing. So where I've been improving my own game and what I've been really trying to do my best to get a lot better at. So some of the sessions are more focused around, oh, I've just been studying through a pots recently, or I've been studying these check raise spots, or I've been studying verse check raise. So then some of the new videos are, will be about that. Um, and then on top of that, anytime I'm like less busy with grinding live, then I'm going to do more of the group sessions. So then more of those get added as well. But either way, I've been adding, I want to say I've added at minimum three to five videos every single month since we were created, which is yeah. why we're well over 300 videos now. Um, and that includes the theory videos, uh, hand history example videos, more on coaching sessions I've done with streamers. And then of course our somewhat weekly group coaching sessions, depending on my availability. In fact, uh, I wasn't able to do any in October. No, I did. I think I did one in October. But since I was super busy in October, um, I'm actually doing one pretty much every single week this month. Um, the only hmm. except I'm not, I won't do it the week of Thanksgiving. But you know, uh, our next group session is the ninth, then we've got one the sixteenth, then we got one uh, the thirtieth. So I'm doing them as consistently as I'm able to, depending on what my schedule looks like. Um, I'll do at least one in December. December, there's that big win series coming up. And mm. then I'll probably do three in January. So I've been trying to get in these sessions as consistently as possible. Um, and just building around my live schedule. So we've always got the group content. And then I'm trying to do a pretty good mix of new styles and different types of content. So trying to keep things fresh, but also doing consistent stuff. Something else as well that we're in the process of building. Um, this has been a decent amount of work as well. So while the group content is 
great. And like while people do enjoy attending the sessions live, you know, rewatching them can kind of be a chore since they're two hours in length. But in, during those two hours, you know, when we're doing hand history discussions or people have good questions, there's a very, very, very good content in that two hours. Most people aren't going to want to sit through this whole thing. So what we're doing is we're going through and breaking apart the group sessions as well as other content and then turning those into bite-sized videos. Mm. So there might be like a two-hour video that might have like 30 minutes of really, really, really good content where I'm just discussing specific spots or people have good questions. And then that way, so now you don't have to watch a two-hour video. Instead, we just cut out the best 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes, and then they're all bite-sized bits. And then they'll all be organized based off of the type of content it was and that type of stuff. So it might be general theory, might be pre-flop, might be, you know, flop discussion, you name it. So then that that way, our, our new section will just be these short, easy to watch videos with videos just constantly being uploaded and consistently being uploaded. So new style of content, but stuff that's already on the site, but we're re, we're putting a lot of time and effort into making sure that it's good quality and good for for viewers to watch and also just saving you guys all the time and effort and work of watching the long videos so it's bite-sized and easy to watch to me this is like the type of content that i think is the easiest for almost everyone to digest you know not everyone has enough time to sit through the the group sessions so instead just cutting out the best parts and making it easily watchable and accessible to me, that's, you know really makes learning a lot more easy and accessible just because most people don't have a lot of time and the nice thing about LPP, about Learn Pro Poker, is our content's easy to watch on your phone, easy to watch while you're on train or walking or you know working out or doing whatever. So that's the other thing is that making it more bite-sized just makes it more accessible in terms of when you're working on and doing other things. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited for this type of content. I hope it's well-received. I do think it will be. And the nice thing is that it's already using content that I've built in the past, mm. uh, but we're trying to keep it as recent as possible. Um, I don't want content really from like even more than a handful of months ago. I'm, I want it all to be recent because, you know, over the last six months, I've improved as a player. I've improved as a coach. You know, if I'm not improving, like if I, if I can't look back, you know, is six months from now, I can't look back at now and be like, wow, I was making some mistakes then. Then I'm not doing my job as a professional, as a professional poker player and as a coach to improve consistently. So I'm trying to keep content that's recent and consistent um, and that matches more with where my game is at currently. And then we'll keep adding and updating content. That's the other thing for me with Learn Pro Poker being, you know, yes, something I want to make money off of, but also a passion project for me is I'm trying to do my best to keep things as up to date as I realistically can, you know, based off of my many other time commitments and everything else. You know, I still, I essentially grind live poker full time. I still play online when there's all these other schedules and stuff out. I'm working on this content. I've got, you know, Range Turner Pro that we're building and working on. I've got other stuff going on too. So I'm already very busy. So like, you know, re completely repurposing old stuff or like completely rebuilding old stuff that I'm probably not really going to do. But this rebuilt, repurposed content and making it digestible and making sure that it's recent and accurate and good, that stuff we will definitely be providing. Um, and to me, I feel as though that that's something that sets me apart as like a coach and working on our content is I'm very upfront about where I've made mistakes, how how I'm now working on my game. You know, mm. I'm it is a living, breathing product and, you know, getting direct access to me as well for Discord and everything else. I try to be very accessible as well. Um, I enjoy it a lot, which I guess helps because 
a lot of people when they're doing it just for the money, uh, you get that kind of feeling from them that they don't actually care about it. And I care a lot. I really, really do. And it, I absolutely love seeing people improve and put up good results too. So it's always great to see uh, some of our students lately have been very, very successful, which is always wonderful, wonderful to see. Yeah, that's great. And when you, when the friends, when your friends and the people that you're working with uh, and your students are doing well, you know, the whole community benefits from that. And we all kind of enjoy that positive experience of the success that they're having. A few Rec Poker uh, Wrecking Crew members have been going on a tear recently too, Taylor right. and Keith and Kim and a few others. And it's just awesome when everybody gets to kind of cheer them on and uh, share in that success, right? You know, I, I love that. Speaking of which, um, you mentioned uh, Range Trainer Pro. I know uh, uh, K.L. Cleeton, who's uh, really the brainchild yep. behind that, is very involved at, at Learn Pro Poker as well. Um, back when we started working together, he was doing a lot of your uh, media editing and that kind of stuff. Is he still really involved in that? Yeah, I know yeah he still is our video editor. Um, Amazing. He's not cutting the stuff down to our bite-sized content. We hired someone else to do that. But he still does all the major video editing and that type of stuff. Um, it's actually why uh, our most recent on the first, uh, why we didn't get the next part of my 3k final table run because he's been sick oh no <laughs> now that he's doing a lot better he'll be able to so we'll get that stuff you know rolling out as well with our brand new content soon and yeah um yeah he came up with range trainer pro such a wonderful product really easy to use um some of our competition has definitely been passing us in terms of like ui and some other aspects but we have many 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 plans to get all cut up in every capacity features you name it um, there are a lot of really good products out there and we are definitely going to be one of the best products. It's just takes time, money, and effort mm. and work in progress, just like everything else. Um, well, you got, you got the right people on the team for it. There's no doubt about that. So speaking of which you guys wanted to discuss three bet pots. Yeah, this is one of the, so I, we talked about it at the top, the, uh, theme of the month at rec poker is responding to three bets. The last month, uh, the topic was three bets from the point of view of the aggressor. So every month, Chris Jones puts this uh, suite of learning material together, and the whole month kind of focuses on that. So I'll just I'll just prompt sort of. And actually, we've got some comments in the chat here too. We'll get to that okay. in a second. Um, but I'll just uh, prompt you first, right off the bat, when people talk, when someone mentions responding to three bets, uh, let's start real abstract. What are kind of like the first things that you think about when it's like, how do I respond to three bets? What should we even start by thinking about? Uh, how deep effective are we? Are we in position mm. or out of position? Is, who is our opponent? Are they loose aggressive? Are they tight aggressive? Are they loose passive? Are they tight passive? Are they really, really tight? Are they very nitty? What history do we have together? Where are we at in the tournament? Are we playing a gash game? Are we, you know, those are the things that I think about. So to me, the most important things, first of all, are how deep effective are we? Where are we at in the tournament? And then who is my opponent? And then positions. So how deep effective are we? Just always matters by far the most because it, just it dictates what we can respond with, like how everything, you know, entirely changes our hands, playability and utility. So, you know, if we're really deep effective and someone, a very tight player three bets us well, and we have a hand like five, six suited, we might be able to get a little squirrely and find appeal. But if we're 30 big lines deep effective, it might not matter unless they like go too small. Um, then of course as well, what size they made it. But to me, that's also part of stack. You know, if we mm -hmm. min-raise and they go, you know, to eight big blinds, it's going to look wildly different than if we min-raise and they go to five big blinds. So those types of factors are going to heavily dictate how I'm going to think about and approach the exact situation. 
Um, yeah, so those are, I would say would be like the main things I'm going to think about and consider. So stacked up, what size they made it. So, you know, what odds are we getting? Are we in position or out of position? And then, of course, any tournament factors. So uh, what type of buy-in, oh, ICM, any history that we have, um, any player reads that we have, that type of stuff, of course. And um, when you, and, and obviously from a theoretical point of view, there's only, you'll tell me if I'm wrong, there's only three ways to uh, respond to a three bet. You can fold, you can call, or you can four bet. And, you know, yep. you could four bet shove or you could four bet to a less, a smaller size. Um, do you have any kind of general rules or for how to how to put hands in each of those buckets? Or are there hands that you just I always four bet or I always fold or I always call? Or is it no, really such I mean, a fluid dynamic thing? Everything is just based around everything is pretty much just based around how deep effective we are and whether we're in position or out of position. Because that's going yeah. to wildly change everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, like aces are a really good trap hand, but there are stack depths where aces like largely four bets or where aces just rips. Um, you know, same with like Kings hands, like Ace King, like there are stacked depths where Ace King's just like pure jamming, where Ace King is largely calling, where Ace King is largely four betting. There's like, it's just, it's so wildly based on the exact spot. It's much easier to just pull it up and look at it. And then from there, figuring it out, you know, figuring out that baseline of decision-making. And then this is where GTO becomes so, so, so important because, if you know what theory looks like in a spot, then adjusting to all the other factors becomes pretty easy. Mm. Interesting. All right, I like that, Chris. Yeah, Ryan. One of so one of the things that we do as a kind of community is we we use a service called Poker Now, and we get a bunch of recreational players together, and they play on this um, uh, table for about. Uh, 90 minutes to two hours and I can see all the whole cards. So I record the play and then basically I look at all the hands where there were three bets and we look, and then, so like the previous month we looked at the three bets as the aggressors. And then we looked at the spots where people either defended through calls or through a four bet. And uh, we really took a long look at, at sort of one particular hand. And I guess I would sort of like, since this was one that we kind of looked at in depth, I'd sort of like to maybe sort of, uh, talk about it a little and yeah, see if you had any specific thoughts. So we are in the uh, hijack and yep. we have queen jack of diamonds okay. uh, and we are, uh, we're very, we're fairly deep. This is a simulated early part of a tournament. We're about 80 big blinds effective uh, deep. Um, yep. And so we open queen jack of diamonds. I don't think there's any sort of, uh, sort of like, you know, anything controversial there. Yep. Um Small blind three bets us fairly large. They three bet about four x. Uh, I think they they. I think we we open. I think it was two point two open, and I think they they went up to nine big blinds as their three okay. bet. Yep. Uh, we we elect to defend. We elect yep. to just call uh, with our queen jack of diamonds. Yep. So queen jack suited here is a, it is both obviously it's a pure open and then versus three bet, it is a pure call. In fact, actually versus three bet, uh, we can call as loose as queen nine suited is our worst queen x suited. Um, our worst king x suited is king five suited uh, for peer. Um, you can call some jack eight, uh, you can call jack eight suited peer, 10 seven suited, get some, some little calls. So uh, can I share my screen? 
Sure. Yeah. A lot of our, uh, and if you're listening to this on audio, if you go to YouTube, you can watch the video version and get a sense of that. You should be able to, uh, just down at the bottom there. Uh, Oh, it says you can't share screen while the other participant is sharing. So, okay, here, no, no, for it now. I'll just have to remember to share my audio again. So I don't blank at the outro music. Okay. So a lot of this stuff, it's much easier to just show it visually. This is why I like, you know, training sites and stuff. I try to, you know, at least our content, I try to keep it as visually oriented as possible just because mm-hmm. like abstract discussions, it's just so difficult unless you can actually see what we're talking about, at least for me, um, being able to have like a good idea of what it actually looks like and then use use it from there as a discussion. So versus three bet um, here, y'all should be able to see this pretty well, but I'm going to try to zoom in a little bit more. All right. Okay. So y'all can see this. Um, so when I'm looking at verse three bet charts, uh, I'm taking a couple different things into consideration. One sec, I'm actually going to add a little. Uh, so one of the main things I always care a lot about mm, is mm-hmm. who is this player? So obviously theory here, we're going to look at quick first, but then we're going to also discuss it from a exploitive standpoint. So theory, as you can see here, we get to call pretty loose. Um, we're calling about 19.21% of the time. We're only four betting 1.28%, which isn't very often. I want to make sure that this is um, this is hijacked for small one. Yep. So we're only four betting about 1.28%, and we have zero jams. And of course, the hands that we get four about the most frequently, hands like ace king, kings, aces. But something that I'm actually a little surprised at how low of ace king off is a four bet. It's just peeling. You know, mm-hmm. being in position is pretty powerful. So the other things to, to really take from, from this chart is looking at the hands that are these like really marginal decisions. King eight suited is a partial call. King seven suited is a partial call. 10 seven suited. Even nine suit, seven suited is folding a little bit. So any of these hands that I see that are like very marginal, very close decisions, instead of partially calling them, I'm actually just going to peer fold them. So my mm-hmm. actual calling, like my actual continuing range here here, I'm just going to pull a poker stove. Instead of it being like all this stuff that you see here, uh, so call it 5%. So GTO is calling like all these, calling like all that stuff. And then it's like some partial continues in here. Uh, my actual continuing range uh, for some of that I think is playing pure theory. So actually three betting us perfectly is going to look more like this something more like this Mm -hmm. so i'm actually continuing a little bit tighter than gto is going to be in like an actual real world situation and And, the reason why i'm going up go ahead sorry because folks are are listening at home you can just see that uh ryan's just trimming off the worst kind of king x offsuit queen x offsuit uh, the king nine suited uh, just some of those lower pips on those hands yep. and continuing with a slightly stronger range of more connected, higher rank cards. Yep. So GTO continues 20.5%. In game, I'm probably actually going to continue about 16.5%. So ev- anything that seems like it should be a little close, maybe we should just you know avoid it. I'm just going to. Um, yep. And the reason why I'm playing this much tighter than GTO is uh, for a couple different reasons. But the main reason actually is is when these charts are built, so they're built using this uh, program called Munker Solver, and you put in your parameters, and then you let it run, 
And then the longer you let it run, the higher degree of accuracy you're going to get based on the parameters that you get. And one of the biggest issues with, you know, with GTO charts in general is that it doesn't assume that there's any tournament factors at all to be considered. So right. even though this is like early stages of a tournament, there still is ICM. There still is, you know, the fact that when we take decisions that are very marginal, that they go from being marginally profitable to being in world like in real world situations just not profitable at all and then on top of that there's also something else to consider your own comfort level when continuing in this situation you're already playing a kind of awkward spot so do you really want to be making yourself even more awkward by taking some of these decisions that the even the bots like yeah we could call this but like <laughs> no whatever and then you're gonna go oh yeah i yeah that's a hand that i really want to play here when the bot's like uncertain i'm like oh yeah the, let's go i want to battle hard i mean yes you can use the approach of like you, you don't need to be quite this tight you know you can put it in you know some of like the less marginal ones maybe play like 17 percent but who's actually three betting perfectly so hmm. uh, our opponent so our opponent here is supposed to be three betting us so small blind versus cutoff open range okay so our opponent uh so when we raise from Sorry, for hijack. Our opponent is supposed to be playing 19.29% of hands, three betting 10.5%. And while you're like, oh, 10% three bet, that seems pretty reasonable. Like, yeah, they're probably going to be three betting us somewhere around then. Are they going to be three betting uh, ace 10 suited peer, king 10 suited peer, queen 10 suited peer, 10 8 suited partially, 9 8 suited, 7 6 suited? These are pretty easy ones to hit. But what about that king 8 suited at 23% of the time? Um, ace four suited partially. Are they going to be hitting like pocket sevens and pocket eights as three bets? Uh, King Jack off, or are they partially hitting that as a three bet? Like their three bet range just isn't going to look like GTO is going to. Most I'll just, people, I'll just yep, say we can actually ask the small blind uh, because it's Rob Washam in this hand. So, <laughs> <laughs> so hey, Rob. Rob, Rob can tell us if he's actually three betting this uh, this exactly. Uh, yeah, we got it. We got a head shake from there. <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree with Ryan. There's a ton of hands in there that I would probably not three bet. Right, a so ton of say, hands in there. So let's say you've got like a pretty good idea as what GTO looks like, and you're trying your best to like emulate it. Maybe you get in the somewhere between the eight to twelve range, but I doubt you're gonna hit a lot of these like exact frequencies. And let's say you are at eight percent. If you're at 8% and you're supposed to be at 10%, then this in-position calling range, the range that I gave before of uh, what pure GTO was, it was uh, hijack for a small blind, supposed to call 19.21%. Now this GTO number is more like 17%. And then the range that I gave that 17% mm. starts is actually the new GTO number. So this is what GTO would look like. But let's say... Now, this is where the player type starts to matter a lot. I love this stuff. And 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 yeah. Ryan has this up anytime he's doing his coaching session. Just goes to reinforce how important this player typing can be. Yeah. So anytime you're playing poker, you know, poker, well, yeah, it's a game of strategy. And yeah, it's a game of math and theory. And yeah, it's a game of like all this other stuff. It's at the end of the day, it's a game of people. So like, who is, who is your opponent? How are they approaching this game and situation? And then that's going to wildly dictate how we should approach this. So GTO in the past, most people would consider this to be a maniac type player. Oh, three betting king eight suited here. Like, oh, well, you know, you're so crazy. No, this is like just what GTO does. 
But so they're very loose aggressive. GTOs up here. And while there are a lot of pros these days that kind of fall in, into this type of category, most opponents tend to be down around here. It's middling aggressive. Middling aggressive tournament poker is a lot easier to play. Um, it's a lot more consistent to play. It's just a much easier approach for the vast majority of people. And it is still very profitable at almost all stakes with the exception of very difficult games. So most people play between middling aggressive and loose aggressive. And while even if they are on the, the looser side of loose aggressive, they're still going to miss a lot of those three bets that we saw before. So while, yeah, I'm going to be continuing here, you know, while I'm thinking in terms of like, what is this theory approach? I'm mostly focused on who is my opponent and what are they actually doing here? And then that's when I make my decision of, oh yeah, queen jack suit, I'm going to call this. Mm-hmm. It's a long winded way to say, yeah, queen jack suit we're calling, but yeah, we need to be thinking in terms of who is our opponent, what does our range look like? And now now that we have that information, then what does our range look like? What is our approach going to be because of this information? Okay. Then so. let me then let me just take us uh one step further into post-flop scenario, because this is yep. where I think it starts to get a little complicated and one where we actually had a lot of good conversation about this hand. So we have this three bet, we've called, um, and the flop comes 10, 8, 4. Uh, with one diamond, the four is a diamond, and the ten and the eight are clubs. Okay. Um, so we've flopped a gut shot um, and a backdoor flush draw. We've got two overs, and our opponent, Mr. Washam, checks to us. Um, and we're starting to sort of um, wonder how we approach this spot. Is this a time where we want to um you know we're in position do we want to just check back and sort of let this plan hand play out we we're already just responding to the three betters aggression or do we want to take that check as a sign of weakness and and attack with our gut shot and our backdoor flush draw and our couple of over cards okay so to reiterate for those listening and for those watching so we open queen jack of diamonds from Mm -hmm. hijack the 2.2 big blinds small blind three Three bets us to nine big blinds, and uh, three better here is Mr. Rob here. So we can actually talk to him about what his range looks like on the flop. And then that'll actually help us give an exploitative way to think about and approach the situation. Because if we understand why he's checking, then we can actually figure out what our exact best decision is with this exact hand and situation, and actually have a pretty good idea as to how to play verse in this spot versus a lot of opponents going forward as well. So when they three bet us to nine bigs from a small blind, uh, Rob, as he said, he's probably not hitting a lot of these three bets. You know, it's going to be a little bit too tight here. Um, so now on this 10-8-4, so 10 of clubs, eight of clubs, four diamonds. We have two overs, a gutter ball to the absolute nuts. Um, pretty good flop for us. And we're in position. So this is going to be a really good spot for us overall. So total pot size is going to be, I guess, 20 big blinds. Uh, nine plus nine plus one from the big blind and then one from the empty. Okay, so pot size is 20 bigs, and then we have 71 backs. We're about 3.5 to 1 pot size bets effective. Okay, so that's the spot. Yep, uh, that's the spot. So this is this can be a little bit awkward. Um, I'm actually going to reshare my screen. We can look at this a little bit from uh, a GTO perspective, and then Whoa. we can look at this from a, uh exploitive approach. After that. We, we invite Ryan on the show every once in a while for an interview, but it's really, we yeah. just want a coaching session. We're going to get a coaching <laughs> yeah. session from Ryan the plant here. This is great. I love it. I, I don't so know if, cool. if you're watching online, you can see some hardware just off to Ryan's yeah. right on the table. It shows you what he, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> 
got so close to number two. I got a I I know fourth place finish in a 3K WSOP final table this series. Uh, Lost queens to threes all in pre for essentially chip lead and to be three-handed. So pretty close. And then I had a a fifth and an eighth as well, both of which I had pretty good opportunities. Okay, so unfortunately, RTP, I don't think we have this exact spot for three-bet. I uh, So... Right now, our database hasn't grown much in the past couple of months. And the reason why, actually, is we're working on blind versus blind solves. Uh-huh. And blind versus blind solves take a very, 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 very long time. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, Ryan, you know, if I plug in your tree and p- hop on, you know, uh, PO solver and I run a spot, it's only going to take me like 40 minutes at most, 50 minutes. <laughs> I got a really good computer. Why is this taking you two months? Well, when you <laughs> multiply uh, 40, times 1755 which is the amount of flops there are uh and then uh, sorry so 40 times 1755 then you divide that by 60 for hours and then you divide that by 24 for days so all of a sudden that's two months just to run one spot <laughs> so and i actually think these solves take longer than 40 minutes our tree is very very in-depth so once these spots get done then we'll flush out these 80 big blind three bets. And then we'll start working on some of the deeper stack spots. The deeper stack it gets, the longer the solves take. Right. So uh, we actually don't have the spot at 80 bigs, but we do have it at 60 big blinds, which should be similar-ish enough. It'll give yeah. us a good overall idea as to what this spot could look like at 80. And then we can kind of, you know, break it apart from there. So this is hijack versus small blind three bet. So Thanks. That's a uh, single raise. Uh, uh, whoops. Yeah, there we go. Hijack versus small blind three bet. There you go. You are correct. And then we're going to look at 10, 8, and like I said, all 1,755 flops. It's a lot of flops. Yeah, folks, you're kind of seeing behind the curtain here, Range Trainer Pro. This is how you can use the tool to uh, select the scenarios that you're trying to test for. 10, 8, Very 4. Cool. So in, on the solver, the we are 10, 8, 4 is just 10 space, 8 space, 4 hearts. So mm-hmm. going forward, we're going to act as a so, we have. Yeah, we are, we're saying we have hearts, basically. Yeah. All right. So we have queen, jack, hearts. Uh, flop is 10, 8, 4, two clubs, one heart. Uh, hijack for small line, three bet. And then we're going to slightly sh- shift this. But this will give us a good idea. So the main thing I actually wanted to look at was small blinds decision-making. Because if we know what small blinds decision-making looks like from a theory standpoint, then we can go, is Rob here going to be tighter here? Is is Rob checking more often or less often? Is he block betting more frequently? Is he choosing larger bets more frequently? Like, what is his approach going to be and why? And that'll dictate what our approach should be. So actually, GTO does check here a decent amount of time out of position. Um, the aggressor checking as a three better happens. It happens a decent amount out of position in position. doesn't happen quite as frequently. Um, and it doesn't happen quite as frequently when we're this deep effective. Usually when you're this deep effective, the three better is going to see that very, 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 very often, especially in position. And the reason why is so when the small blind three bets and, you know, they call, the small blind is at a very, very, very large range advantage. And this is actually why the previous discussion matters so much. If you know what preflop looks like, if you know what their preflop range looks like, you know what your preflop range looks like, then you know who's at range advantage, who hits what boards, and then why they should be doing something starts to make a lot more sense. 
So they are supposed to check here a decent amount of time, 24%, which or 26%, which I'm actually a little surprised by. I would have guessed that it would have been a little bit lower than this. If I had to guess, like, without looking at this, I would have said maybe they check 15% of the time or 20% of the time. But it does make sense that they check 26%. And the reason why they probably check such a high percent is let's look at, uh, so this was in positions calling range, um, this chart here. And as we can see here, look at a lot of these hands that just connect with this board texture in some capacity. Mm. So much of their range hits this. Look, they have tens peer. Uh, so we have tens peer, eights peer, fours peer. So we can have all sets like very happily. We still have aces. We still have kings in our range. We have queens and jacks, almost peer. So we have all the really, really good hands. And while obviously the three better also has a lot of good hands, uh, so three bets range essentially looks like here we can actually look at this on sixty. Uh, so this is what the three betters range looks like. So while the three better does have you know sets occasionally, they don't have tens very often. They only have eights occasionally. Um, they don't have fours at all. So this is like trying to figure out why GTO is doing something will start to give you an idea as to why you should be doing something. So Rob here, when he does check, he's actually kind of in line with GTO with a lot of his decision making. Um, maybe he might not match up exactly as to why he's checking, or I doubt he's like, you know, use an RNG device and like dice roll it. And all of a sudden, this is why he's checking. But, you know, if we can have a good idea as to what GTO does, we can start to figure out why he's doing it. And then that gives us a good idea as to our approach. So let's say uh, there is this check here, which happened in real life as well. What is Queen Jack supposed to do? I'm actually, I have no idea. If you know, if you told me it was supposed to, you know, check back with their Queen Jack of Hearts or bet with their Queen Jack of Hearts peer, I would have believed you utterly. So the <laughs> fact that it's a split decision is not surprising at all. So why might Queen Jack of Hearts bet here? So Queen Jack with his backdoor flush draw bet. Well, it blocks pocket queens, it blocks pocket jacks, um, it blocks you know the rare Jack Ten Queen Ten combos. Like it'll also just maybe get ace king to fold immediately. So let's actually see if we bet small what ace king does or what some of these high card hands do. Uh, so ace king does occasionally fold. Um, you do get some better hands to fold. Look at king queen here, largely folding. Mm -hmm. Unless it has uh, some of the back. Uh, yeah, unless it has like a spade. So this backdoor high flush draw. It's getting these ace highs to fold. It's also going to start applying leverage on a lot of different turn cards. But why might Queen Jack of Hearts check back? Well, when we do bet, what percentage of time are we getting check rates? What percent of time are we just like getting pushed off this equity? Uh, check raise is 35%. And when that does happen, this Queen Jack with backdoors, ooh, hey, it does continue. So we're, we're not getting immediately pushed off equity, but we're now getting maybe on maybe we see less river cards or maybe we, you know, the turns that we do hit, maybe when we hit them, okay, you know, we're less likely to be able to continue with a lot of other parts in our range. So while queen Jack works here as a bet, it also works pretty well as a check back. So, and the thing is, is anytime a decision is very close theory now starts coming down to Rob, Rob, why did you check? I don't, I actually don't want to know your hand. I just want to know like, when you checked in game, what 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 were you generally thinking? I was generally thinking that my opponent was going to bet uh, because of who he was. Which means, what should we with, be doing with anything? <laughs> so then, 
what should we be doing with our Queen Jack here, everybody? <laughs> well, if he wants us to bet, we should be checking behind yes, with it. Jack. <laughs> Jack. Jack. <laughs> so when we're in game here, as 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 a person with Queen Jack here, we need to be thinking about who are, who our opponent is. So when Rob checks this flop, do we see that as, as being a normal thing to do? Like, would he see this flop and go, oh, I should be checking here a lot? When the answer is no, then you need to try to figure out why he's checking. Is he's checking because he's like worried about uh, what we might have? Uh, is he worried about his hand strength? Is he, you know, is, is he thinking about what we're going to do? Is he just thinking about his cards? A lot of players, when they're making decisions, so you have like different levels of poker players. Um, I would say most people fall under, like most fun players fall under level zero, which is they're just playing their hands. They're not thinking in, in any other capacity other than I have cards. That's usually like a level zero player. <laughs> now, recreational players that maybe have like some experience or playing a little bit, but haven't done any studying yet. 0.2 is I have cards. Maybe you have cards. <laughs> and then 0.5 is you have cards. Okay. And then level one really is I have cards, you have cards. So level one is what I'd consider a lot of recreational players that do some study. Um, play some on the side, but maybe not like a lot of studying. And maybe you don't take it too seriously. So you guys are definitely past this because you are, you know, you're actually putting an active effort and you're working hard on your game and you're trying to improve. That's definitely going to be more. More let's battle. Let's think about how we're approaching these situations. Let's, you know, think about how we're strategically, you know, building our ranges and making good decisions. So most players fall under this, which is just, I have cards. Rob's obviously past this. He's obviously at least level one, but probably going past that since he studies and works on his game and improves a lot. And then this is where poker starts to get a lot of fun because mm -hmm. the, the next level is just, you know, GTO bot equals just studying a lot. So pro players who really actively work hard on their games. So since we know Rob is somewhere in here, then it comes down to how we think he's going to approach and play this game in general. Usually anyone that's going to be in this, in any of these categories, this is where I'm thinking about what type of player they are. That's where that GTO, uh, the, the player types chart, this is where the player types chart comes in. Because the level three players, they're just, they're all fairly loose aggressive. They all have like fairly similar stats. Um, you can have a pretty good idea as to the type of studying they've done and approach they have. Um, they all play pretty similarly, so that chart doesn't really matter because it's not really as much of a thing. For here, this is where it starts to matter a lot. And this is where our perception of Rob matters a ton, our, the history that we have. The fact that this is early stages means we're going to be able to make, you know, some uh, different types of approaches. And since, you know, it's obviously not a high stakes term as well, we might be able to make some other different types of approaches too. But what type of, like, how, how do most people view Rob? So I guess is a good question because I, I, you know, I've, obviously I've not really played much poker with any of you guys. So I guess uh, who was actually who had the queen jack suited here? 
Uh, it's actually somebody in our uh, um, audience, uh, which I won't I won't dox him, but in uh, on YouTube, his name's Evil Roy. Okay, so um, I guess have Rob and Evil Roy played a decent amount together? I guess that's a first question. Yes. Yes, yes definitely. I, and Rob knows. Uh, so Rob obviously knows Evil Roy is very loose aggressive, but uh, how does Evil Roy know Rob? Hmm. How would you, I mean probably you pretty well because he's been no I'm know, saying Rob's like been, as a player yeah. like uh, Rob knows that Evil Roy is very loose aggressive like what is Rob perceived to be Rob are you like considered to be tight aggressive loose aggressive study but often tighter okay so Rob is maybe seen as being uh that middling aggressive player type which as I said before it's by far the easiest to play you've done a decent amount of studying a lot of people revert to that because it's the easiest to think about and approach situations. So when a somewhat tighter but still loose three better checks a board texture that they like checks in a situation that they know is favorable to them, that's to me was when alarm bells should be going off somewhat. Because so let's say we thought, you know, maybe Rob was like a very loose three better. And then when he gets called, he plays more, you know, tight, you know, worried because this imposition player is all, all of a sudden calling. This is a very dynamic board texture. Then, you know, him checking isn't like shouldn't be too concerning. But I think uh, Roy should be aware of the fact that when Rob checks here, that we there should be alarm bells going off. So then that's why I would check this back. Anytime like I'm going, hey, why did someone do that? And I'm kind of confused by it. I just assume they're really, really strong when I think they should be doing something else the vast majority of the time. Like um, I, I played a hand from uh, 1600 MSPT event um yesterday or sorry two days ago um where a very a very well-known opponent uh who was a pre-flop aggressor opened and then checked on uh i defended big line and then they checked on jack four four uh two-tone uh so jack four four for flush draw why are they checking back there they're supposed to be pure betting so when he checks back there i know that he has a hand that has a decent amount of showdown probably isn't going to fold to my aggression. And if anything, it's probably trapping a pretty high percentage of the time, especially as we hadn't played you know, much against each other before in the past, a tiny bit, but not a lot. So I knew that he had a very, very, very strong hand there. This is a little bit different of a situation in that, you know, Rob could realistically have a hand like Ace King and just be like, wow, I hate this flop with a passion. And then just check it because of that. A lot of people though, when they're kind of uncomfortable with hands like Ace King, as you can see here, Ace-King largely just bets. And the reason why Ace-King largely just bets, it's a much easier way to play it as a general rule of thumb. Mm. Um, GTO obviously doesn't care about that, really. But it's honestly, it's not a bad way to think about it. Because when you're betting here, you're not just betting with Ace-King. You're also betting with Aces and Kings and your set of 10s and your set of 8s and your nut flush draws and your, you know, over uh, over cards with straight draws and everything else. Like you have a lot of very strong hands and your range is very well protected on a lot of turn cards. And then when you do bet and they do call and the turn is something that's pretty good for you. Uh, so let's say, let's say the turn is say a three of spades, which is a very good card in a lot of different ways for your hands. Now all of a sudden your ace king even if you don't have a spade in it, but obviously if you do have one, it makes it a lot better. This is a card you get to just keep repping on, keep mm -hmm. betting on. And that just makes your approach and your thought process in general a little bit easier uh, from a GTO perspective, but also from just a thinking about an approaching perspective. 
So when I see someone make a check like this, I'm going to be fairly concerned. And I think since you guys have this amount of history, Roy should have been fairly concerned as well and should have checked back. And so what, just to kind of recap this, because I think this is where the conversation landed us, is when you have these sort of like controversial spots, or it's not even controversial spots, but let's call them spots that have mixed approaches, uh, where you can either, you can bet or you can check here, and either one can be right. One of the things that you're advocating is not necessarily like, let's roll a dice and see where we, if we get a, a you know, a lower or a high number, it's more like, let's really think about the situation and our opponent. And that's really a better way to decide in these sort of mixed situations rather than some sort of randomizer. Yeah. So the only time I'm ever using a randomizer is when I'm playing against an opponent who I think is playing a very theory, a very, very, very theory oriented approach. Um, so uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've been playing versus uh, Chance Corneth a decent amount. Um, and he and I have played some very interesting hands against each other. But most of the weird interesting parts of my decisions were all rng based um like i check raise played a hand where i check raise six four on eight five three rainbow uh barrel the turn eight and then triple barrel jam the river and every single one of my decisions was me just rolling a high number and following through on what i knew was a good triple barrel spot that's it it had nothing to do with like our history or anything else and the reason why, especially for a player like him in particular, where he is so good at reading people and reading situations and understanding game flow and those types of factors, okay, that's where I'm just going to go, okay, what does my hand usually do? Or what should I be doing here with this type of hand? Oh, I should just be doing this. Okay, I'm just going to do that. Oh, I should be occasionally mixing, but maybe I should be leaning towards aggression. Okay, how high of a number do I roll? Oh, I roll a really high number. Okay, sweet. We're going to be aggressive. I roll a really low number. Well, I'm normally aggressive here, but since I rolled a low number, now I'm going to check it instead. And then for me, it makes it a much easier way for me to think about and approach decisions versus him because of instead of trying to like play this complex leveling more or anything else versus someone who's arguably one of the best players on the planet at it, instead I'm just playing pure theory. And then that makes my decisions much easier and also makes his decisions much harder because he can't just go, oh, Ryan's doing this for whatever reason nope, this is just like, I'm just playing this hand in a very theory-oriented way. Now, versus almost every other opponent that I played versus, a couple other exceptions, it was all about who is this opponent? What is the situation? How am I trying to exploit them here? Do I think they're too tight here? Do I think they're too loose here? You know, what do what do I think their decision means? So the vast majority of time, I'm thinking like that. In fact, the vast majority of time, I'm not even thinking about my range at all. All I'm thinking about is who is my opponent, what types of hands do they have here? Why do I think they have these types of hands here? And then how does my hand perform against that? So this queen jack of heart spot is to me very interesting in that while it is a split decision from a theory standpoint, I think from a what we know standpoint, it is purely a check and that betting is a very large mistake. But if we instead, like if you guys didn't give me that other information, you just told me that, you know, that Rob checked and Roy bet. I've been like, yeah, it's probably a fine bet. But now that we have more information, now we know why we should or shouldn't be doing something. And this is just like my theoretical and then logical breakdown of the situation. You know, a lot of situations in poker, especially ones where, you know, GTO says you could do one thing or another. Most of the time, 
a lot of it just comes down to trying to break it apart from a, a human perspective and then using that perspective to break it down logically. So to me, the human perspective is why did Rob check this? And then what is his opinion on what we're going to do? Oh, he thinks we're going to stab here a lot. So then clearly we need to check back more. Or, oh, Rob, you know, when he three bets and he sees his board, I saw that he was just like hated this spot. Okay, now we get to bet here. So if we get other information, then that's going to shift and adjust our approach to spots. Um, in fact, I've had discussions and stuff all the time with friends of mine, especially in these live tournaments that we've been playing lately where binds can be somewhat high, but you can get a very wide range of player types. A lot of decisions that people might, uh, here I can, uh, a lot of decisions that people might be making in spots, I might think they're good or not entirely based off of why they did it. Not even, you know, they could have done something. I'm like, oh yeah, GTO does that all the time. You know, sweet. But if they tell me, oh, I did it for this reason. And it was just some type of weird, like very esoteric reason. I was just like, that doesn't really make sense. You know, if in fact, there was actually a hand that a good friend of mine played in, um, uh win 1600 uh somewhat recently where he did something and i thought it was in like i thought it was completely fine until he told me why and i <laughs> told him particularly that that logic was fucking awful and he needs to stop thinking <laughs> like that it was just it was bad it was just it was bad and like it was actually a spot where the reason why so like he i think he like four bet jammed jacks in a spot or no he like oh this is what it was is he four bet a lot larger in a situation than what he thought should be and his reason being was because he was like trying to get more folds to make the hand easier to play and i was just like that's a terrible reason uh, it was jacks obviously everyone loves it's jacks. always jacks yeah, yeah it's always jacks and i was just like you know you're in position like or, or actually, no, he was, I want to say maybe he was, no, he was out of position. So it was like, it was a really good four bet spot and he was supposed to four bet. But like four bet a size where when you're, you, your opponent can calls and keeps his range really wide. And mm -hmm. if you're four betting larger to induce jams, it's great. It's amazing. Love it. Because uh, then we get to snap it off and we're printing a lot of money. But when we're four betting larger to then fold, it doesn't really, you know, you're just like giving away equity and not trusting yourself. And that's terrible. It's awful. Like, you know, if you're playing this game for a living and, you know, you're doing all this studying, you work really hard in your game, you should trust yourself. You should trust your reads. You should, you know, be willing to take and push good equity and then be put into awkward and difficult spots and then take it post-flop and battle. Like, you know, that's why we play this game for a living, not to like have easy decisions and, to you know, make, you know, make the easy decision. No, we're playing this game to make the most money we possibly can, the most EV we possibly can, make the best decisions we possibly can. Now for y'all, you know, it comes down to like, to me, a lot of playing poker very, very well for yourself is about making decisions that you personally are comfortable with. So mm. let's say, you know, there is an open and you are supposed to three bet a hand like king seven suited and you're not comfortable with it. Don't three bet. It's not that big of a deal. Like, yes, you should be willing to three bet like there. Don't use king seven suited. Use king 10 suited. Use king jack suited. Use ace 10 suited. Oh, ace 10 suited isn't really a three bet there. Who cares? Still a pretty good three bet bluff candidate. Like you don't need to like all of a sudden start at GTO. Ease into certain decisions. Ease into like making these types of decisions for yourself. And then as your game naturally progresses and improves, 
then you're going to be a lot more comfortable in some of these more difficult and awkward spots. And that'll make you play much, much, much better. And putting yourself out there will make you play a lot better too. So by doing like the, the, the practice things I'm playing now and Chris being able to see everything and discussing these spots, that's how you improve a lot as a player. Surrounding yourself with like-minded people that are passionate and care about the game and want to have these open and frank discussions, even if they're wrong, it doesn't matter. Them being wrong can help you better think about and approach something and understand it much better in your own way. And that can be a very good thing too. You know, some of the ways that I've best improved myself as a player is when someone tells me something, you know, that I just strongly disagree with, and then we can have this conversation and I can better understand why I disagree with them and why this, you know, why I think this approach is going to be somewhat better. Or they say something that I disagree with at first, then we have this conversation and all of a sudden I go, wait, I'm wrong. You're right. (laughs) Amazing. That's like, those are the best moments. Um, there was a conversation I'd had with a friend of mine a while ago, and it's a very heated conversation. And um, there was like, it was a pretty basic spot um, that I thought was a very simple, very straightforward, you know, let's ram in money as much as possible spot. And he actually convinced me that it was the other way. And while I agreed with him for certain situations, I disagreed with him for the exact spot that we were in. So even though I disagreed with the exact hand, I actually learned from it because it gave me a better way to approach other situations that are very similar. And I just wasn't doing that. And to me, that was a big way as to how I shifted. It wasn't even just that one hand it was my entire approach to certain field types and certain player types. And that, that was a big thing from one conversation that we had, you know, these small things, these small moments can really open up your game and really make you think about and play differently and improve a lot as a player too. Yeah, I, when I was coming up uh, in the game, I I learned on my own. Mostly, I read books, and I would listen to podcasts, and watch videos. But it was joining a group like Red Poker and uh, sharing my ideas with other people. Even having to defend your ideas, you think about them in a more active way than you would otherwise. And of course, you know it's a much faster road to success when you can actually hear other people's ideas too. Not every freaking right. idea has to originate inside your own brain. Um, you mentioned uh, sort of this this uh, seminar that that Chris runs every month, this play-along seminar on Poker Now. I mean, it's one of the things that I think I'm most proud of here at Rec Poker, where premium members can get together, put all put their game on tape, warts and all. And then um, actually Darrow Kearney also joins us for that every month and provides his own feedback and breakdown into how our premium members could have played those spots better. And I mean, you, you, just, you don't get that kind of experience just working on your own, stru- studying on your own. Um, not sharing your ideas, not sharing your kind of pain and embarrassment of having played things wrong. Like, I love it when you said, uh, uh, you know, you got to find out that you were wrong about something and how great that is. You know, people come into this with a mindset of, I don't want to be wrong because being right is better than being wrong. Well, how do you think you get right? How do you think you learn? It's It's by being wrong less, you know, finding out that you're wrong and turning it around. So the way that I would view like study on your own, I would view that the same way as like, going to the gym or going on a jog or, you know, eating healthy, like, you know, your own like core cardio and that, and like body health and like that type of stuff. Like you need that stuff to be an athlete and, you know, it needs to be on point and you need to put in the work and you need to really grind through it and no one can grind through it for you. You must do it yourself. And and then the whole discussions with other people, the working together, the improving, the, the growing together. To me, that's like going to practice as a team. You know, whether it's mm. baseball, basketball, football, soccer, whatever you name it, 
you know, you're, or, or even doing something that's more, you know, that's more uh, self-focused like art, you know, going to art classes and learning from a teacher and learning from someone and having conversations with other artists and seeing other artists work, you know, that stuff's really, really, really important in growing your, your art or for, you know, going to practice. It's really, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be, you know, you could have the most talent in the planet, but if you don't have someone that helps you hone that talent and helps you improve and grow, you know, Michael Jordan's not Michael Jordan without each coach and each other player that he had help him grow and reach that potential of his, you know, it's true for every athlete. They need that, you know, sense of community and people around them to help them grow. And to me, that's, that's true for poker. That's very, 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 very true for poker. I actually don't know a single top player that can say, oh, I did this entirely on my own. I, mm, you know, never mm-hmm. spoke strategy or theory with other people. I can't think of a single one. I can think of a single one that would even come close to fitting that bill. Um, yeah, I really can't. Like, I mean, can you guys, can you think of a single player that was like, oh, I did this largely on my own? I mean, even some of the guys that like, I know have been like, you know, kind of came out of nowhere, still were surrounded by some of the planet's best players. We're still very well known in their communities. Guys like Limitless, guys like, you know, you name it, some of the best players on the planet were surrounded by some of the other great players or, you know, came up through some of the, you know, their communities. You know, I can't think of a single American player that's near the top that didn't wasn't surrounded with some of the best minds in the game and industry, you know, and had that sense of community to help build them and grow them. Now, I I would not be the player I am today without the, the backers that I've had for the last six years, with all the friends and stuff that I've made without poker forums and Twitter and you name it. I just I wouldn't be the player without them, without a doubt. So to me, while like, you know, studying and stuff's really important and reading books and going to coaching sites and doing these things is really important. If you're not surrounding yourself with other people to talk to and learn from and exchange ideas from, you're not going to be, you know, one of the best or even be very good. You know, you, you can be decent, but like to truly unlock your own potential, you, know, <laughs> you, you need to really put in the work in every capacity, not just, you know, you know, not just like grinding through GTO charts and looking at post flop sims. You need to have good conversations and surround yourself with like-minded, passionate people. I love it. Well, um, speaking of like-minded people, I'm going to roll through some of the comments here uh, in the YouTube chat. And you've been so generous with your time, Ryan. I know we're going to let you go shortly, but uh, right off the top of the bat, aside from um, Phil making fun of me, which is sort of a usual uh, occurrence here, uh, Jack LaRue says, Ryan, loved your interview on the heart of poker with Kara Scott. And uh, Siddhartha uh, Sudunagunta agrees, says that was a great episode. Um, Phil says he wasn't going to make it live tonight, but Ryan's too good to pass up. Had to come by and get uh, get some coaching from the man himself. Um, ben asks, do you think they'll make the 15 million guaranteed down in the uh, December tournament that you were talking yeah, about? I think they'll play it pretty comfortably. Um, you can play one entry per flight, which I will do so if needed. Um, but yeah, I, I think they'll get there. I think there's a lot of hype around it. I think WPT is doing a really good job of promoting it, You know, giving out all these packages and you know, running all these satellites that are overlaying by tons. Um, I think they're doing a really good job ever advertising it. I think everyone knows about it and everyone loves the win. I mean, the win's one of the best ran poker rooms in the country. Well, honestly, in the world, it's one of the best ran rooms I've ever played at, played mm-hmm. a lot of different places. So I think they'll do an amazing job with it too. And I think everyone knows that. So I think it'll get there. And I think it'll, my, if I had to take an over under on a line, I would say 1900. Cool. 
Um, Phil, uh, Philip Razor here says, I really love Ryan's instant Twitter quizzes. Yeah, me too, man. So, uh, we were just saying earlier, potential, you know, you, uh, you want to reach that Ryan's Twitter handle is at potential MN. And, uh, he, he's very generous with his time. He responds to a lot of people's replies and comments, and he puts out a lot of great learning material and, uh, hand analysis quizzes in real time that you can kind of choose your own adventure. Um, of how to uh, how to play how to play the poker hands that he's playing get inside his head a little bit so I encourage people definitely go and check that out there's some talk about uh, three and four betting here uh, Joe Coolis great point yeah stop four betting with jack four offsuit I mean it's hard how can we do that in the in the game today it's impossible to avoid doing that awesome. um, <laughs> another comment from Joseph Coolis here says or a question really says one great aspect of rec poker is the group designed to advocate for women do you feel that the LGBTQ community needs a similar advocacy in poker to recruit new players that they feel safe to play? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it would definitely help some. I mean, marginalized groups in general, it, it can be very difficult to enter into poker. Poker is very much a boys club mentality. I mean, anything, any pursuits that tend to be very aggressive and very competitive, but also financially motivated, makes it a lot harder for marginalized groups to be a part of it. You know, w- women on average make a lot less money. They're a lot more likely to be um, to you know take care of the kids and do everything else. So it's why in the so you don't really see a lot of younger women in poker very often. Um, most honestly, the average age of women that I see in poker tends to be a lot older because mm-hmm. the kids are out of the house. They've had their successful careers and lives. Then they have the time and 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 money to actually be able to, to compete. Um, so that's always going to be like you know the systemic issues that we have in our society just makes it a lot harder for these groups to compete. Um, that being said, poker being more welcoming in general also makes things a lot easier. So uh, uh, so actually Run It Up was a really, really, really good place for people to feel a lot more welcome and, and open. Um, Jason Sepperville also being openly gay, um, he always had a very welcoming atmosphere. And then the Run It Up events, uh, at least the one that the I got to go to the, ver- uh, the very last one, um, we didn't know it was going to be the last one uh, (laughs) and everything and i saw more gay people i saw more just like you know than of any i've ever been to by very large margin um more women more you name it everything i it was amazing and it's such a welcoming and opening group of people and also the fact that it was lower stakes as well also made it a lot more you know accessible and approachable for more people too it was just it's a very friendly fun atmosphere and then it made it a much more welcoming atmosphere in general um generally when i'm playing like any anytime i'm playing like binds like 600 and higher you generally don't really see too much of the um you know more aggressive conversations or things like that at the table um also people's tolerance for things like that tends to be very very low as well so while i've found higher stakes poker to be very open and welcoming in terms of anyone can play and nobody really cares. And the few people that do make those types of comments generally don't really aren't really welcomed in much of a capacity. Um, It's still it's the high binds make it not very accessible for many people. So the higher stakes poker, unfortunately, is just going to look, you know, kind of very similar to what it is. And it's going to be very difficult for marginalized groups to, you know, break their way into it. That being said, I do think, you know, as our society changes overall, I do think poker will continue to change and grow with it. And one of the nice things I've noticed about poker as well is it tends to be, you know, just poker is a very 
you know, if you can sit down and play, you can kind of do it. At least tournaments are, which is part of the reason why I love them so much. So poker's always been a little bit more progressive in a lot of different ways, a lot more open, a lot of different ways. And to me, that's always been one of the things that I've really appreciated and enjoyed about it. And I expect that to continue going forward. So I think things will get a lot better. And I would like to see a little bit more inclusive things happen. Um, but it, we, I do think we as a society of poker players are making large strides towards it. And I think things like women's event are definitely still needed, very much so required um, in terms of helping grow the game and industry. And I think a lot of the things like um, pe- people like Nadia uh, Magnuson, like giving away seats to things, things like that, I think are incredibly great to see. Um, and I love to see more of it. There are a lot of really good female focused groups as well. Um, Poker Power, I know, is, um, is one of the largest uh, uh, female groups. Um, I know they're growing a lot and I know they're very welcoming. So if you're someone that feels as though you need to have that more type of welcoming atmosphere, I mean, I know Rec Poker as well. You guys are open and accepting to everyone too, which is always amazing to see as well. So, if, you know, Poker Power, Rec Poker, to me, groups like this really help the game change and grow and are very, very, very much so needed. Yeah, I like that. I was lucky enough to be a guest on the Chip Race uh, recently. And one of the things we talked about was how just the generally, the, the rest of the poker world needs to do a better job of ostracizing assholes. And just like you yeah. say, kind of like the high the high stakes is already a place where uh, people don't kind of tolerate abuse at the table or that kind of thing. That's something that we can bring to, to every poker table and just have a more inclusive and friendly atmosphere there. That's some, certainly something that we would all benefit from. Definitely. Um, so we got a comment, another one from Phil. He likes that the uh, colors in uh, uh, Range Trainer Pro have a lot of black and yellow. Being a Steelers fan myself, I can't argue with that. Uh, Josh Campbell says to only four bet Jim, your odds go up of winning the hand. That's not bad advice at all. Um, Phil and Jack say the ICM stuff doesn't come up for them because they only play early in tournaments. So it's not really an issue for them nearly as much. Um, Siddhartha says uh, he can recommend uh, Ryan's LPP site. His game has come a long way since he started joining. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in here and I would encourage people come there's a lot of joking about the different levels of poker and that sort of thing. Uh, there is, it is a lot of fun here and I, uh, uh, I'm glad we started doing this live and getting a chance to engage with some of these people. Um, so Ryan, before we let you go, is there anything else that, uh, that people should know, um, if they want to go, if they want to join the site, they can go to learnpropoker.com. Um, if they want to check you out on, uh, Twitter, it's at potentialmn. Uh, yep. Range Trainer Minnesota. Yep. yep, that's right for the local connection here. Um, uh, Range Trainer Pro is the great training tool that you and KL have put together. Um, what else? What else are you interested in? What else are you? Uh, where can people reach you? Are, are those the big three? And what am I missing? Yep, Twitter is by far the best spot. Um, also, uh, I know Rec Poker here on this video. They have a link below. Click it. Uh, it's their affiliate link takes you to both sites you know, support them by supporting us. And it's a win-win all around. Um, I know they, you guys should have a discount codes and stuff as well. So yeah, we do. Be using those as well. So you can save some extra money and help them out, you know, provide this amazing content. Um, yeah, that's about it. Um, I should be doing some more hand histories and polls and stuff coming up. Um, unfortunately, November is going to be largely online grind, studying, actually having some off days, like, Tomorrow, I'm just going to play video games and do a board game night with people and work. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, most of my next month is kind of like that. Um, but uh, I will be playing a 2500 later this month. 
And then December is a lot of wind stuff. So hand history polls and stuff will be coming back. If you're looking forward to more uh, LPP content, group session this Wednesday um, at noon Pacific Standard Time. And we'll do a couple more of them this month as well. Um, and the one this uh, on at least this Wednesday, I'm going to make it wide open to everyone. All you have to do is be on our email list. So free members and stuff, everyone can get access to it. I'll make some tweets about it. So check it out. Awesome. Well, um, I'm going to let you go. I'm, there's been a, the, the Twitter or the Twitter, the YouTube chat is just blowing up here. You're well loved by the rec poker community. Let me let me say that, Ryan. Thank you. Um, so I'm looking forward to we'll have you back one time soon on the forums edition of the podcast and we can really get into some strategy. <laughs> I thank you very much for having me on. Really do appreciate it. Thank you all for watching. Stay safe and healthy out there and best of luck at the table. See ya. <laughs> Cheers, man. Oh, that's great. I love when we get to have uh, Ryan LaPlante on the show. It really is a coaching session, not just for our members, but for our Wrecking Crew members as well and our, our listeners. Um, so, And I will say, yeah, so if you're listening to this, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, that you can uh, sign up for Learn Pro Poker or Range Trainer Pro using the Rec Poker discount code. And we would love it if you do that because it sort of tells them that we sent you. And then uh, they get that they help us us out. We help them out. It's a really nice way uh, to help uh, everybody involved. Um, we've got some other. I didn't get a chance to get into this, but thank you, Phil, uh, for your nice comments here. This has been so great. Got some hearts in there. Uh, Martha, amazing show tonight. Um, ben Enslow's been uh, been active in here. He loves making mistakes so he can write forum posts. Yes, exactly, Ben. That's it, man. <laughs> and I see uh, the RRRCCC knows what's up. They're already typing the word food bank into the chat. So let's get that going now, folks. If you want to win a prize this uh, this week, we're going to do a free month at uh, Rec Poker will be the prize to give away. You can come and join our premium members all month. Um, so start typing the words food bank into the chat now. We'll just run through the uh, home game results and then uh, we'll do the draw. Uh, a couple of things here. Let me see. Yeah, I'll run it, run it up. A lot of a lot of people would have loved to get to that. Uh, thank you, Eric Anderson. Yeah, if you're if you're listening, smash that like button. Please do uh, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the channel, give us a like. It helps out a lot. Um, Stuart Carriage uh, says thanks, Ryan. I'll make sure to pass that along. Uh, so that he gets that message, Stuart. Thank you uh, for your support in the chat there. Um, so, yeah, you know, so. I love how much of a nerd he is. And I mean that as a huge compliment. Yeah. Like anyone who can play video games and board games on their day off. I just <laughs> love it. I just love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's truly well suited to what he's doing in this world, isn't he? I mean, it's for just sure. such a natural sure. thing for him. I, I you know. Uh, he's he's steeped in games. He's just that's that's his whole life is games. I I love too. Like you know, we've asked uh, and we've we have great guests, and we you know we ask him, you know, give us some of your thoughts about three betting, and they're like, well, you should do it sometimes and do it. Sometimes. And he's like, let's get into this. Let's <laughs> dig in. We're 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 getting in. So like even even in the middle of a podcast interview, he's just he's 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 just ready to dive deep. Yep. No, it's amazing. Um, and so if, if folks do, if you're not listening to this uh, live or if uh, you're uh, watching on the website, if you go to rec.poker slash resources, you can find a bunch of uh, discount codes and links uh, for Ryan stuff and KL Cleetons um, and a bunch of other amazing training sites. Our Learning with Partners program has grown a lot over the years. So it's not just Learn Pro Poker. Obviously, they're a, a, a flagship part of what we're doing here. Um, but there's a lot of other people out there that would love to work with our uh, recreational 
um, premium members. And and it's not just premium members. It's uh, anyone who loves poker. Go to rec.poker slash resources and find some ways to improve there. Um, so yeah, let's do the uh, let's do the let's do the home game results first. So every Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, the fun folks over at Fun Country Poker are hosting a nine-player sit-and-go, which is available only to Rec Poker Premium members. Every week, there's a nine-player tournament. It's free to enter, and the winner gets uh, $25. So I know you uh, uh, Rec Poker Premium members, it only costs $15 a month. And there's one of these $25 free tournaments every week. So I shouldn't have to do the math for you. There's an avenue to profit right there if you have what it takes. And you only have to beat eight other Rec Poker Premium members. So I'd encourage you to go and give that a try. Um, Two weeks ago, um, our winner was Jim Gibson. We got a chance to shout them out last week. And uh, this week's winner was uh, Greg Clem, our own own in-house panel interviewer. Um, Greg's a great premium member. He's been active in the seminars, and I think he's going to enjoy these Thursday night online playing hangs brought to you by Fun Country because he's just printing over there so far. Um, speaking of online playing hangs, every Tuesday night at nine east at nine Eastern, our premium members get together in a Zoom call, not unlike this one, and we just hang out uh, while we play in the home game online. We run ten play money home games every week. Uh, most of them are at nine o'clock Eastern on Saturday. We have a few at different times throughout the day for our international members. But um, every Tuesday night, nine o'clock, premium members get together uh, to just hang out and have fun while we're playing. If you're a new premium member, this is a great place to come and dip your toe in, uh, decide you know how free you want to be and, and like how engaged and how involved you want to be. The stakes are very low because it's mostly a social occasion. And um, we get some fun guests showing up every once in a while. Kevin Mathers, Kev Math, is basically a fixture there every Tuesday night. I think he's found his people. Um, Kevin's another Wrecking Crew member who uh, just loves spreading the word about Wreck Poker and this great game that we all love. Uh, But we're opening it up on the uh, one, two, three, fourth Tuesday of every month. We're actually opening up the OPA, the online planning, we call it the OPA, to not just premium members, but community members. So if you go to rec.poker and sign up for a free community account, all it takes is an email address and a smile, and you can come join us on this uh, fourth Tuesday of the month uh, in the Tuesday night online playing hang. So the next one that's coming up is November 22nd. We're recording this on November 7th. So you've got a couple of weeks anyway to uh, circle that November 22nd. Go sign up for a, uh, for a free community account at rec.poker. And then come join me and Kim and Rob and Chris and the gang. Um, it's usually a good uh, showing there on Tuesday nights. Uh, you never know who's going to be there, but you always know it's going to be a good time. Uh, so come and check that out. Yeah, boy, we're still blowing up here in the uh, in the chat. This is fantastic. Um, Josh Campbell asked, what's the topic for tonight's forums podcast? We're actually going to do... Um, an episode strictly uh, on this topic here, uh, responding to three bets as the theme of the month. And then we're also going to take one post from the Rec Poker forums, which we do uh, every time, and talk about that on the show as well. So that's going to be a fun one. All our premium members are welcome to come join us in the booth uh, for those forums editions of the podcast. So let me see the last uh, home game winners. We, we are not joined by the one and only John Somsky tonight. He's uh, not feeling well. So I'm going to sit in and try and roll through uh, our home game results for the past week. Starting with Wednesday, November 2nd, this was the monthly No Limit Hold'em series, won by Marbles Jam, who is no stranger to the winner's circle, so congratulations. 
And then in the nightly events, on October 31st, Spooky Eric Anderson uh, came through, who's in the chat here tonight. I saw him earlier. Um, so congratulations, Eric. Uh, that was a trick on everyone else and a treat for you, sir. I'm glad that you enjoyed that. Congratulations, congratulations there. On November uh, 1st, oh yeah, there was an asterisk. There was an asterisk tournament on the 1st. From what I understand, we had two tournaments running. Uh, so you got to sneak in there and grab that asterisk pin. That is uh, that is a rare error right there. Um, one winner was Magra44, whose name is private in uh, the Rec Poker profile fields, but public in all of our hearts. That's the one and only Doug Drabeck, who continues to just destroy the field of Rec Poker uh, members in the home game league. He's, he's uh, our all-time winner. No surprises there. And then Frogman Rick, <laughs> Frogman Rick, Rick Day, who I'm just going to dox as well because he's too good a guy for his name to be private, who sent me this fantastic photo. I want to show this off every time Rick comes up. That's him holding a copy of my book, which doesn't exist. He created a book that I that he claims I wrote. And uh, every time we get together and talk on uh, on rec poker in the home games or in the forums or something he always references a chapter in that book <laughs> it just cracks me up every time every time so uh, rick congratulations and thank you for that piece of joy that i encounter on a weekly basis man i just love that um on november 3rd jb twin cities also private here but uh well i don't know uh jb you know who you are um, way to go. I'm glad you're still kicking butt as one of our uh, most longstanding members here at uh, Rec Poker. JB's been around forever. Um, on November 4th, uh, Mudslinger 1942. That's Jack Petschel. Um, on November 5th, Gibber 3, uh, the one and only... Oh, well, no, he G Gibber, it's private, it says in there. So um, you're going to have to go into your profile field. If, if Gibber 3 wants the world to know... What a glorious name they have. And it's a really good name. Like, it's a, it's a really good name. Then uh, you should go into that profile field and make sure that that's public information so that we can shout you out on the podcast here. Uh, in the mixed events, we had, oh, my God, it's Eric Anderson again. This was on November 5th. This was in the daily mixed game on Saturday. Uh, so congratulations, Eric, kicking butt there. And then this is fantastic. I mentioned earlier. On Saturdays, we have uh, No Limit Hold'em games earlier in the day for some of our international players. We went back to back here. Uh, the morning tournament was won by Tech Geek 65, and the afternoon tournament was won by Tech Geek, period. So those are two Keck Geeks that I happen to know share a great deal of DNA. Um, they reside in the same home. They have, they have the same last name. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to give up give away much more private information about them but congratulations to team Keck geek way to go and then on sunday this is just the, the week of return winners mudslinger 1942 jack petchel again uh coming up to kick some butt so jack uh because you won the sunday night tournament you uh do, you have earned a free month at learn pro poker with ryan laplant lord knows you're going to uh, uh want to take us up on that go get that free month send me an email jim at rec.poker and we will take care of you and send you that free month okay let's do the we are going long holy cow let's do the roll and then uh, we'll let these kind folks go home and we'll go start our recording of the forums edition so the rrccc was the first one and then joe josh Stu, uh phil and Eric, I've, so I see six people have uh, 
entered that one. So we're going to roll a boring old six-sided die, starting with the RCCCC. Yeah, we're getting calls to the producer. <laughs> play the play the gong. Get, get this show over with. It is a six. Uh, so the winner, it was the last one, Eric Anderson. Congratulations, Eric. Um, so Eric, you're already a premium member at Rec.Poker. So instead of giving you a free month of premium membership, we're going to take that same $15 and we're going to apply it as a coaching credit towards any of the coaching material offered by our Rec and Crew members in the shop. So whether it's one-on-one coaching, group coaching, database review, uh, getting Tim to run Sims for you, anything like that, send me an email, jim at rec.poker, and I'll make sure you've got what you need uh, for that. And yeah, Joseph, Joe Kula said he put out this call a couple of weeks ago that if people donate to a food bank, he will match your donation up to $100. So no one has emailed me yet to say that they've made that donation to a food bank in their area, but I'd love people to do that. And if you do, uh, Joe will donate uh, a matching amount up to $100. Thank you so much, Joe. Uh, you're a fantastic guy. I really appreciate that. That's great. Hey, I just I just want to know who that younger producer is that we have on the show today. <laughs> um, he's much. He's a much younger looking yeah. man than than we've had in the past. It's so true, I'm he cleans up that good. Was. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I agree. Chris is Chris. Uh, Chris is too modest, but he's looking sharp out there, all clean shaven. He must have some very exciting professional event to prepare for because uh, he doesn't get all spiffed up like that just for the likes of us. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, Thank you to Ryan LaPlante so much for being an amazing guest. Um, there's too many YouTube chatters to thank individually, but you all were fantastic today. We got some great questions and a lot of fun. I really like it. Um, even Phil. So thank you all for showing up for that. Um, of course, I have to thank Kim and Rob and Chris. <laughs> I have to share my audio so that I can uh, play the music properly when we get out of here. That's a great tip from uh, producing co-host Chris Jones. And um, I got to thank... Mark Prashan at Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel, Race Jack, and Casino. But mostly you, the listeners. We couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much. And we'll see you next week.